Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pocketlink Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and in this episode we'll be talking car tech and giving our opinions on the latest games to hit PlayStation, Xbox and PC recently to give you an idea of which ones to consider on the build-up to the holiday season. Joining me for that later will be contributing editor Max Freeman-Mills but first, editor Chris Hall is with me now to discuss the rise in smart and other technologies in cars not least the Volvo EX90 electric SUV which is one of the most gadget and gizmo packed we've seen in modern times So Chris, tell us what's inside the new Volvo and why is it so tech heavy? I think it's probably to tell you what isn't inside the new Volvo (laughs) It is absolutely loaded and the thing that I found most interesting about the the launch and the, the press release and other stuff that Volvo sent out was they spent so much talking about all of the brands that they're working with and all of the technology that's in it. And it was almost as though the fact that it was a car was an afterthought. Uh, so it's it, I, I sort of liken it to a, a smartphone on wheels, really. It's a seven-seater smartphone. Um, <laughs> and Volvo isn't doing anything too dramatically different. Everybody's moving in the same direction. But th- this this is a car that is loaded with sensors inside and out. That includes radar and LiDAR and all sorts of other things, all sorts of other cameras. And that means that the car knows what's going on in 360 degrees around it, which a lot of people do. It also has a a system of cameras inside that will keep an eye on the driver as well. So the car will know what you're doing and what's going on outside and what it's doing. The aim here, of course, is to be the safest car that it can be. And this is following a line that uh, that Volvo has been pursuing for some time where they want to have the safest cars on the roads. And they have an ambition to make sure that they sort of remove as many chances of there being an accident as possible by using this technology and making their cars as safe as possible. So this is not just safe for the passengers inside the car. This is safer for other people on the road as well. So if you have a road that's full of only Volvos, then hopefully none of them should ever hit each other. <laughs> there is, I mean, there are some some really interesting things going on here just through the names that Volvo has dropped in. They talk about uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon cockpit platform. They talk about NVIDIA Drive platform. Uh, and the whole lot is running on Google with instant access to Google Maps and Google Assistant, which is why it's, you know, it's so techy. There's so much going on. Um, it's a, It's a... Really, if you know Volvos, it's an evolution of their current uh, large SUV. So it sort of looks similar and slightly more futuristic design with sort of flush flush door handles and uh, a sleeker nose and stuff to make it more aerodynamic. Um, So, yeah, fully teched up, fully loaded. Um, It's going to be on the road in 2023 and rivaling those other big seven-seater electric SUVs that are out there at the moment. Uh, One of of my worries about the amount of tech going into cars generally is um and this is this is based anecdotally um is that car mechanics fixing cars will now need to have an electronics engineering degree as well 
Um, we uh, we had an, a problem with the infotainment system in a brand new Seat Ateca. They couldn't even fix it. It took them absolutely ages. The, the amount of different patches that Seat sent through and all these other things. And the mechanics didn't really know how to install the patches properly. So um, is that a worry, Chris? Is that is that something that you're going to have to take your car into two different um, kind of service centers just to get those two different elements sorted? There is definitely a change coming down the line. Uh, one, one of the things that all car manufacturers are saying at the moment that isn't a, which they're pitching as an advantage is over the hour updates. Lots of these cars now have their own 5G connection or when it's parked outside your house, it'll connect to your home Wi-Fi. And a huge number of the systems on these cars are going to be available to be updated because so much of this is managed by computers. And whereas in the old days, people would be making hardware changes, now we're looking at making lots and lots of software changes. The the real message that we're, that that I'm seeing from car manufacturers is that the car you drive out with will not be the same car a few months later. So, you know, you go into the secondhand market and the thing that you should really be interested in is whether you have all the latest software updates because that will define the best experience. And I've seen things like the range and efficiency improving because of software changes that, that they make. But on the hardware side, you're right. The, the very nature of how these cars work is is becoming different. Um, and you think about old cars, they had a simple, simple-ish system where you had fuel that went into an a- engine, mechanical moving parts. They, there were differences between them all, but there was a lot of similarity as well. And if you understood engines, you may be able to fix some of these problems. But now you're looking at sealed units containing motors and batteries, and they're, they, from the car manufacturers are saying there's less to go wrong. But if it does go wrong, it's more likely that you'll have to go back to the manufacturer and use their service service facilities rather than just being able to take it to a local mechanic on the high street. So, so yeah, there there may be some changes coming down the line. There may be less people diving in and changing some of the components that there had been in the past. Um, do you see um, the tech? of cars improving in terms of things like the Volvo with safety and the actual driving experience? Or do you see a bigger change in the way the in-car experience is changing with things like Mercedes EQS and um, putting OLED screens right across the dashboard and all these kind of technological advancements in terms of sort of like more user interface? These two things are going hand in hand. And the real aim here is to create the interior experience that reflects what we see outside. So they always talk about a smartphone-like experience or like using an iPad. Those are the sort of terms of reference. And the real big change here, of course, is the launch of the iPhone and everything splitting into apps. If you want to, if you want something now, if you want to play some particular music, you don't have to have a CD changer in the boot of your car. You're just you're streaming it. And the problem that car manufacturers have is they they didn't always have the opportunity to change things. You know, you buy a car, you may have it for three years if you're leasing it. If you're actually paying for it outright, you may have it for five or 10 years or something. Um, and the same applies to the secondhand market. You buy into that and, you know, the hardware just isn't there. And that's driven this move away from things like physical controls and buttons. You know, when you have an interface that is entirely mm-hmm. controlled through touchscreen icons, you can change the functionality. You could 
make a new, you could have a new agreement with Spotify and you could just drop that in and change that through a software update, none of which you can do with physical buttons. If it says this button is the radio, then that button is the radio. Whereas on other cars, you could rearrange the buttons, so there is no radio button, you know. Yeah. So, so that's that's definitely something that that has been changing, and it's it's the aim is to definitely to make your car seem like the biggest gadget you've got, give you all of those comfortable consumer experiences, and there is this slight standoff between what the car manufacturer supplies and develops and systems like uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, of course, because they will just mirror your smartphone and mirror some of that experience to give you the latest cup driven by your phone. Car manufacturers don't really want that. They want to stay in control of the experience because otherwise that's something that they lose out on. But turning to the other side of the question, there is so much development happening from the safety side. And a lot of it is familiar, things like adaptive cruise control, so you press the button and you, and your car will automatically maintain distance from the car in front and change speed. You know, that's been around for perhaps 10 years or so. But it's really the evolution of that sort of system, along with lane keeping things, that moves us towards autonomous driving. One of the interesting things that I experienced when I was reviewing the BMW i7 recently out in California is that that actually now supports hands-off driving. So you, at the moment in the UK and most of most of the world, um, apart from some parts of North America, I believe, you have to keep your hands on the steering wheel at all times. But you know, out in out in North America, you can now have a state where you can press the button and then you can take your hands off the steering wheel and leave the car to drive itself. It's clever because in that car, it's also watching you, and if you are distra- obviously distracted, it will start complaining <laughs> at you because this is only hands off, hands off the steering wheel. It's not eyes off. You still need to keep a keep attention on the road. And as we've seen through Tesla and its autopilot, some people think that they can just leave the car to do everything and end up in accidents because they're in the wrong seat or they get arrested or whatever. So there is a lot of research going into how the car can see and predict what's happening around it, how it interacts with other cars. The aim in the future is to have all the cars talking to each other. So every vehicle knows what every other vehicle is doing and they know how to avoid each other. But at the moment, we're not there yet. There's a lot of regulation that's still in the way. There's still a lot of testing to go on, uh, make sure that everybody has the best systems in place. But certainly your car or your modern car is now better placed to react to things when you may have a slight delayed reaction. Some of those are very good and some of them need a little bit more tweaking. I think my final question is that what with the uh, the Volvo EX90, and there was another another um, SUV announced very recently. Do you think that SU, uh, elect, all electric SUVs are now going to, we're going to be awash with them? SUVs, um, the, the sort of midsize SUV is the biggest selling part of the market at the moment. It doesn't really make sense from a aerodynamics point of view because saloon-like shapes are much more efficient. So you know there is a you know there is a divide in the market. Customers want higher ride heights. They want to be able to see everything. They like that sort of lofty experience. But actually, we should be going back to more traditional sizes and shapes because it's it's easier to make those more aerodynamic ultimately car manufacturers will build what people buy and people are buying these bigger cars so you're <laughs> going to see lots more bigger cars 
Now on to games, and specifically several of the latest releases that myself and Max Freeman Mills have been playing recently to review them for Pocketlink. We'll be looking at God of War Ragnarok and Sonic Frontiers in a bit, but first Max, you reviewed Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 recently. What's your impressions? Well, it's an interesting one. <laughs> the annual Call of Duty drop has come. Um, if you're a Call of Duty player who loves the campaigns, then it's the same old situation. Another bombastic military six to seven hour campaign to play through. Nothing that's going to blow your mind. Nothing truly innovative, dare I say it, but still good fun. The production values are absolutely sky high um, and it's a kind of relatively romping good time if you don't concentrate on the politics of it. Um, but the game's been out a couple of weeks now and I have sunk very, very deep into the multiplayer scene. Um, and it's looking pretty positive, I have to say. Call of Duty has one of those communities that will always find something to gripe about when the new game comes out. And there are a few hiccups to do with missing features and things that they said would be in at launch that aren't quite here yet. But the fundamentals of Modern Warfare 2 are really good fun. It's a, it's a really tight, well-made military shooter. Um, the maps that the game has launched with, I think, are largely pretty good, um, with a couple of small exceptions with imbalances. Um, and there's loads of guns to explore and play with and get used to. Um, and yeah, no, I'm having a really good time. I think it's a, I think it's about as solid a Call of Duty launch as we've had certainly in the last few years. Um, and that's been echoed by absolutely stonking sales. The game has already made a billion dollars for Activision, um, and that's in yeah just about two weeks. Um, and it's already on course to double the sales of Vanguard last year. Um, and Vanguard didn't exactly, you know, sell peanuts. So I think uh, I think it's it's doing very well. And later this week, uh, sorry, next week, in fact, um, Warzone 2 arrives to really kick things off um, with the first season of post-launch content. So Modern Warfare 2 is kind of, it's one of a few behemoths uh, of gaming that have come out in the last month. But uh, but no, I'm having a really good time. I think it's a, I think it's a very good Call of Duty. And um, we've also got DMZ to look forward to as well. That's as right. That's right. Yeah. Warzone 2 coming with DMZ, which is Call of Duty's take on what's called the extraction shooter genre, which is a little bit niche, but very fun. It's effectively rather than dropping into a big map and trying to kill every other person on it, you're dropping into a similarly big map and trying to complete little objectives before escaping. So it takes the pressure off you a little bit in terms of having to fight every other player you come across. And the emphasis is a little bit more on stealth and on uh, dealing with AI enemies. Um, and from what we've seen so far, and there's a lot more details to come out in the next few days, it looks really interesting um, and like a kind of palate cleansing option for those who are maybe a little bit tired of getting stomped in Battle Royale, which I think happens to the best of us. Um, so yeah, when that, that launches as well, same date, 16th of November, I think it should be a very interesting time for, for big Call of Duty fans. Now, I've... Um... I mean, I, I went to Amsterdam to a press junket for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which was mainly to interview developers, but also to see part of the campaign in real life. Because, um, of course, part actually a reasonably small section of the campaign is set in Amsterdam. Um, so I went and saw the cafe, basically, where they, uh, where they made that sequence. Um, so I've mainly played the campaign rather than the multiplayer. And I am looking forward to Raids, which is coming up uh, end of the year and next year. But um, but the campaign, um, I quite enjoyed. You were fairly ambivalent, I seem to understand. <laughs> I, I would say my ambivalence toward Call of Duty campaigns is kind of 
relatively sustained over the last few years. <laughs> I, I always enjoy them. Don't get me wrong. Straight seven out of 10 experience. You know, it's just that they no longer really have a, a big capacity to surprise me, I think is the is the maybe the problem. Yeah. But but it's not a very big problem, because as I say, it's one of those where you're like, you know, it's a little bit like a Marvel movie. They can be really good, but often they are just pretty good and that's fine because you know you like the characters you like the action it's all good fun that's me with call of duty i'll go i'll play it it'll be great but i'm really there for the multiplayer (laughs) every year that's what really sinks its its hooks into me but no yeah the campaign is great and and you're right to highlight they've kind of the fidelity of the locations that they're replicating i think is at an all-time high even though it is as you say a really quite brief bit in amsterdam the degree to which it's it's sort of really recreating a, a real life street is, is pretty crazy when you're there in the game. Um, and that's true of a few other levels as well, where people have sort of been able to work out through Google Maps and Google Earth. Hold on. I think this this island where you're in a ghillie suit sniping Russians, I think that's this island here in Iceland or whatever. And it, and it generally is. You can see where they've taken real life inspiration. It's actually getting them in a tiny bit of trouble, allegedly, with multiplayer maps <laughs> that are a little bit too similar to real life places like uh, one based on the Getty Museum in LA that was in the beta and is suspiciously absent from the real game, at uh-huh. least, potentially because there may or may not be legal action in the background. And there's a couple of other examples like that. So it's only getting more realistic. Um, so uh, I think we'll wrap up on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, but would you recommend it? Is it better than last year's Vanguard? I would say it's the best Call of Duty we've had in probably three years. And if you're if you dabble in the series, this is the one to pick up of the last few. So, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Excellent. Um, so now on to Sonic Frontiers. Now, I've not played this at all. You have. Um, so tell us a bit more about Sonic Frontiers. And does it live up to expectations, seeing as expectations were really low? <laughs> yes. Well, this is a bit more of a mixed bag, I have to say. It's... Sonic Frontiers is a tremendously interesting game, <laughs> which is a slightly polite way of putting it. But when the first trailer came out, it was pretty clear that Sega were going for the Zelda Breath of the Wild style imagery. You know, big open fields, plinky plonky piano music very gently in the background and this sense of exploration and freedom, which it has to be said is maybe not the most natural fit with how you think of Sonic, which is, you know, a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more pop music, kind of fun, funky stuff. Um, and in fairness, the game is quite like that trailer. You, It is quite sort of sombre and a little bit slower and more thoughtful. But at the same time, it's also very Sonic. So, you, you know, you'll spend 10 minutes dashing around a big field, looking at the ruins of an old civilization, figure, trying to figure out what led to their downfall and listening to Sonic talk to Amy, the pink hedgehog, about the nature of death and letting go and grief. And then you'll transfer into a one-off stage with kind of punk music in the background and bright, shiny visuals and incredibly, you know, classic Sonic imagery and zoom through that for two minutes while hearing the classic deling coin (laughs) um, ring noise the whole time. And it'll all be as if the tone was just completely forgotten about for a few minutes. And then you'll be back into the ruins of the civilization and sort of slowly picking it apart. And it, there will be people out there who love that tonal whiplash and are used to Sonic telling slightly more mature stories than you might expect. And, you know, really deep into the lore of the various universes that different Sonic games have take part in. Um, I'm not quite as into that lore space. And so I found it a little bit more... Um, well, just a little bit odd sometimes. <laughs> um, and that's not helped by a kind of a combat system that 
is still a little bit ropey and that's again nothing new for the sonic series but you'd love to think that they might be able to fully sort it out at a certain point that said it's still good fun when it's doing its kind of classic thing and when you're you know zooming around at the speed of light and going on grind rails that take you around whole levels and it's 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 got moments of real momentum and sort of interesting ideas but i find it a little bit of a weird grab bag um and for some people that'll be an attraction and for me it's maybe a little bit of a turn off but but yeah it's a, it's certainly an interesting game that's what i will say of course one of the big things that people kept pointing at during when they first saw the trailer before the game actually emerged was the photorealistic backgrounds and the way they contrast with the cartoon graphics did you find that a bit disparaging Yes, in a word, I, I I kind of agree with that uh, criticism. Uh, criticism's a strong word. It is an art style, so it's a decision, and I think it's kind of fair enough to go for it. It can work, but I think it's noticeable to me that when you transition to one of the, they're called cyberspace stages, the kind of shorter stages where you are just running through a quick sort of race, as it were, those areas tend to be more stylist, stylized and more cartoony and more vivid and bright. And they're the bits that I remember thinking, oh, this actually looks pretty nice, you know. When you're out in the overworld and it is a bit more drab and a bit more photorealistic and the lighting is a little bit more kind of drained and harsh, it does slightly make me think, was this worth it? Was the, was the stylistic experiment worth what is now a slightly weird looking game? And that also is really highlighted in cutscenes where you've got sort of, you know, obviously bright blue Sonic and yeah, pink Amy or whoever else is in that given story moment, ex- exchanging their lines. And they just look a little bit like they're almost green screened in where they are because it just doesn't quite match. Ah, yeah. Um, so, you know, again, it's nice to try new things. Uh, front frontiers for me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't land <laughs> very well. Um, so again, we'll, we'll wrap this one up and, would you recommend it then? Would you recommend it to people that are A, Sonic fans or B, platformer fans? Yeah, and that's a good distinction. I think if you're a if you're a big Sonic fan and you've played a lot of games in the series, especially if you've been waiting for a 3D one that feels quite good to play, go for it. Front Frontiers ticks some boxes that aren't ticked very often and it does feel nice. Um, if you're really quite new to Sonic or you're kind of thinking about dabbling with it, it'd be one I'd say wait, wait for a sale because I'm pretty confident you'll see some nice reductions in three or four months it'll be a better deal put it that way excellent um well our final game of this little trio of tasty tidbits is uh, i sound like alan partridge uh, christ <laughs> um is uh, god of war ragnarok which is something i've been reviewing and uh my god what a go- what a game what a game indeed now I, I I suspect there may be an argument on the horizon, Max, between, <laughs> uh, for the Pocket Link Awards, certainly, um, of what is better, God of War Ragnarok or Elden Ring. And there are lots of parallels, of course. Mm. God of War Ragnarok is a, a boss battle-based RPG set in many open worlds, um, but it is a Western version, whereas Elden Ring is very much a Japanese uh, Eastern game. Mm. Um but they are both incredible. I mean, this is there's no doubt about it. I'd say God of War is probably more accessible than um, than certainly, Elden Ring. Certainly, I think so. I'm hugely looking forward to tucking into God of War very soon. I've got the disc. I'm just waiting for a waiting for a clear weekend <laughs> to let it kind of take me over. 
It is incredible. I mean, so it's the playthrough took around fifty odd hours. So, um, and and that within that, admittedly, quite a lot of frustrating boss battles where I <laughs> ended up dying 12, 12 or so times. Um, but the way the game is constructed is just extraordinary. Now, anyone um, who hasn't played the two thousand and was it eighteen reboot? Yeah, Twenty eighteen. Um, go and do so immediately. You really don't want to spoil that game by jumping straight into Ragnarok. It really does literally follow on from the end of the previous game. Yeah, and, and the good news for those who haven't played it as well is that the. 2018 God of War has had a lovely patch for those who have yeah. PS5. So it, it and it looked unbelievable on PS4, but it looks stunning <laughs> on PS5. So you could you can just play them back to back and have an absolutely cracking 100 hours. <laughs> and also incredible on PC. It's mm. even got that ultra wide mode. Yeah. Um so uh I would do that and then you will also realize that God of War Ragnarok is a natural successor. It's not really a, a it's very much the same game. Mm. Um but tweaked, heavily yeah. tweaked. I mean it looks incredible for starters, especially on PS5. It's got many different graphics modes, including the 120 hertz mode, which is brilliant, but to be honest, I think a bit superfluous. You don't really need it because the 60 mm. FPS mode is incredible. Yeah. And that gives you a much higher resolution as well. So you're getting nice sharpness, nice details, and 60 FPS. Um so I would go for that mode, but you've got the option. You've got so many options in this game. But the thing about the game, and this is this is what I thought literally as soon as it started, is the first time you throw the Leviathan axe again, and anyone who's played the first game will know exactly what that feels like, especially in 60 hertz and at this resolution, and the way it snaps back into your hand when you mm. when you recall it, you just go, yeah, I'm I'm in. I, I can. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the game for me. Um, there is um, some additions. You do get a new weapon in the game. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you do get a new weapon in the game. But not for quite some time. It's it's at least halfway through the game. Um, so at least you've got something new to do. But it's the construction of everything about the game that is just so glorious. Santa Monica Studio has done such a great job at thinking about every tiny aspect of gameplay the puzzles are much better they're just and there's so much of it Mm. there are so many puzzles um there's one section that you don't even really have to do yet it could take you 10 hours to complete i think that was one of the things that was so um i mean there were many things about the 2018 god of war that were kind of eye-opening but one of those was this expectation based on previous God of War games that it would be a kind of relatively tight story-driven game that you could just blitz through. And then all of a sudden you discover that it's, you know, got open world elements. And as you say, there are optional paths and kind of the the Valkyrie boss battles that were totally optional and bloody yeah. challenging. Oh, yeah, and, and there's a sense they're... that it could be a 40-hour game if you wanted. And, and it really expanded into something massive. There are so many as well, boss bat- uh, mini boss battles, they call them. Mm. where they are optional you don't have to do them things like draugr pits and um sort of demon uh tombstones mm. where you unlock this demon and they are really tough yeah but what you realize later on and you you try and complete them and you 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 die and you die and you die and you die and what you realize later is that that section that you've just spent ages trying to beat this boss normally failing 
um, you will actually end up back there as yeah. part of the story at some point later in the game with way better armor, way better weapon. Yeah. Um, and that's that's ups. another trait. That's another shared trait between it and Elden Ring. Yeah. The sense of sort of dropping you breadcrumbs and the expectation that, well, I'm here, so I must be meant to be here. And the game being unforgiving, but also trusting enough to just say, you figure it out. <laughs> if you're yeah, dying exactly. and dying, maybe you, maybe you should go you know, try another route. And that being a kind of actually a, a massively rewarding process, as simple as it sounds, is having a game not tell you, no, the icon says you're meant to be over there. So that's that's what you need to do kind of thing. It's It can be really fantastic. And the other thing I think about Ragnarok in comparison to the first one is that the open world sections are much bigger and there's many, many more of them. So almost every single world now, you you essentially you're just revisiting the same worlds that you visited in the first game, mm. but they are all much bigger, bigger open world sections, much more for you to do, much more for you to find, many more collectibles and an enormous amount of loot. Yeah, you can really, really stack yourself up with the best yeah. armor and the best weapons if you are willing to put in the time. And yeah. of course, everything is so so brilliant to play that you're you're more than willing to put in the time. I mean, so, yeah, I think um, it, it's it's so interesting that it positions, and this is a long way off, I admit, but Santa Monica Studio are you know they're right on the cusp now of getting into that same bracket as as Naughty Dog, in the sense of what are they going to do next. Yeah. You, you could almost guarantee it's going to be a banger. <laughs> oh, it, and and I, it, for their sake, I, I kind of hope that it's almost not another God of War because a bit like when Naughty Dog branched out from Uncharted, you get this sense of kind of a creative flowering. They can do other things. They can, they can do other story types and genres. They just need to be allowed to. And it's going to be so interesting to see what they come up with next. I'm with you on that. Uh, I mean... It's also, that's a good comparison in the fact that I would, even while I was playing, I thought this is Santa Monica's Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. It feels like that, where it feels very much like the first game, but just more of it and mm. and better branching. The story in the first one was so revolutionary that I think that the second one isn't as groundbreaking because it is mm. a continuation. But it is still brilliant, and the dynamics between the, uh, Kratos and his son, uh, again, the emotions and the way it is told is just—it transcends gaming. Mm. So you know, I can't recommend the game enough. It is genuinely yeah. brilliant. I haven't played the PS4 version, sadly, so I can't tell you exactly how that that plays. But I have heard that it's very, very good. Yeah, and I believe <laughs> it's—I believe it's meant to be extremely stable. So again, yeah, it performs very, very admirably in the same way that the 2018 version did. So you're really, and also it's very nice that it's feature complete. So while it won't be, you know, re- rendering in native 4K, you're not missing out on anything. All the contents there, the whole game is exactly the same, just a bit sharper on PS5. You know, that's again pretty impressive at this stage. It's so it's my game of the year, but we'll see what actually yeah, happens because yeah. <laughs> Elden Ring is so good anyway so yeah. yeah it's a it's a good time it's a good time for RPGs yeah, it's certainly. a bumper crop at the moment all right so that's it for another Pocket Limp podcast I've been Rick Henderson and I'll be returning soon with a new episode where we'll bring you the latest from the world of tech in the meantime please rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and or let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter at Pocket Lint no hyphen until next time Tatty bye.